Having earned an Oscar nomination for his short film Cashback in 2004, British director Sean Ellis has since caught the eye with a stylistic approach that is urgent, visceral and intense. With the help of composers Guy Farley and Robin Foster, he's delivered soundscapes to match. I'm Edith Bowman, and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which we get the lowdown on the use of screen music from directors, actors, writers, and musicians. Following its run at the Oscars, Sean developed Cashback into a full-length feature before bringing us The Broken, both of which were scored by Guy. Then came the Philippine-set crime drama Metro Manila, which won numerous awards. His latest project is Anthropoid, which tells the true story of an unlikely assassination attempt on Hitler's second-in-command, Reinhard Heydrich, so-called Butcher of Prague. What is your mission? Operation Anthropoid. What is Anthropoid? We are here to assassinate Reinhard Heydrich. He's executed thousands. Only Hitler is about him in the Nazi hierarchy. Are you completely mad? You kill Heydrich and Hitler will tear Prague apart. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Is our country ready and willing to resist Nazi Germany? For these two most recent ventures, Sean predominantly collaborated with Robin, who we must thank profusely for his assistance in putting this episode together. Apart from anything else, we'd have struggled to identify the specific Bartok violin sonata that features in a key scene in Anthropoid without him. Interestingly though, that sonata is one of few cues in the film that's relevant to 1940s Prague with Sean and Robin instead settling on a dark electronic score to evoke the all-pervasive atmosphere of paranoia that came with the Nazi occupation of Czechoslovakia. Sean, welcome to Soundtracking. Thank you. Let's start now with Anthropoid. and You worked again with Robin Foster and with a film that's set in a certain period, how do you approach the soundscape that you ask Robin to create? Well, I started talking to Robin really early on, actually. It was probably nearly a year before we started filming and trying to figure out what the sound would be for 1942 Prague. And I think Robin went off on this exploration of trying to find period pianos and Czech pianos and <laughs> Czech instruments. And he came back with all sorts of shenanigans that I was listening to thinking, OK. Um, it's a process that you go through. And it's one that, thankfully, if you've got enough time, you, it just suddenly rises to the surface and it makes itself very clear what it should be. It sort of almost says something to you and you go, oh, that's it. I mean, uh, Robin's instrument of choice is uh, guitar, electric guitar. So when you start thinking about electric guitar in Prague 1942, it's not the obvious choice. 
but he sort of plays it very differently with different sort of instruments. He like he uses I don't know drumsticks and violin bows and whatever on 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 the guitar, and he gets a very different sound of it. And it starts to become more like um, sound design rather than a musical thing. production sound and only a piece of music and this last scene was going to play just to this music. So obviously him getting that it was sort of a bit daunting and he was like ah what is this what is it and I said you need to find it before we film that's going to give me the power of it and if it's not giving me the power of it then it's not it's not working so it has to you have to find that track before we film so i think robin did about 3 or 4 attempts at that he got it pretty fast i got to say and he sent it over to me and i listened to it it was the track i imagined the sequence i imagined the emotion and my hair on the back of my neck stood up and i became emotional and i i think i cried <laughs> And then I called him and I said, that's it. That's the piece of music we're going to use at the end. And I said, and I can't listen to it anymore because I don't want it to lose its power. Oh, wow. So I listened to it probably only once or twice after that. And then that was it. It's really powerful when you say that you, you almost mute the action and what's going on. Manipulating sound on film is just its one of the pleasures that you have. <laughs> it's just one of those great things. They say, you know, music is 70% of what you see, and it's very true. You can really create the emotion and the environment that you're trying to achieve through sound. And one of those, one of those things that I love to do is to just create a silence. Um, and it can be a very powerful thing, mm. especially in a cinema of 450 people where it just goes completely silent and everybody can hear each other breathing. It's just another manipulation of the soundtrack. Me and Robin have been playing with that for a certain amount of time now and, and he's really crossing over from being a musician to bringing his music to sound design and, yeah. and really you know, upping the level of the emotion that's, that we're trying to achieve within the film.
a couple of things as well with this that really stood out for me that were really effective. I don't know what it is, but it sounds like a siren slowed down that's really subtle. It's just there. I guess people have tinnitus when it's that kind of yeah. that drone in your head, but it's so powerful and I think tells you quite a lot about the mentality of the characters or the or the situation that they're in. Yeah, it's um it's a very intense sound that's, that sort of builds through those sequences and it's actually a sound that you almost don't notice until it stops. It's literally like a, a slow build tide that just keeps going up and up and up and then, you know, obviously when you do a cut to a silent sequence, the next silent sequence, you just suddenly are aware of how much tension that, that was bringing. That was quite amazing to watch that. You know, when you test that in the cinema with people, people breathe out like they've been holding their breath. It's that sound. But we were, my sound designer was experimenting with a sound, a decibel sound that apparently makes you emotional. But it's so such a low frequency, you can't hear it. But he was saying it only works if the speakers uh, in the cinema are working. Because if one of them's blown, it suddenly sounds like an enormous fart. And so he said, it can be a brilliant thing to use, but you can't go around all the cinemas and make sure, because otherwise I was like, you know, at this emotional point where people are supposed to be crying, they're hearing this fart. So I was like, I can't chance it. So we like, we elbowed the low decibel, invisible sound thing. I think it's a myth, to be honest with you. But no, the, he was saying something about there's a sound that they can put on um, places where teenagers hang out and only teenagers can hear it and it makes them feel uncomfortable. So they disappear. So it's like, it's like dog whistles. Yeah, it's like a dog whistle. It basically, you don't want teenagers loitering in the park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have the opposite thing where it attracts them home rather than yeah. sends them away. <laughs> or gets um, them out of the land. Yeah, yeah, scene where Bill Milner's character is playing the violin. I won't see what happens in the film, but there's that scene. Really powerful. one instrument but it's the one person in that situation as well just as those people arrive yeah I mean it's lovely to set that up with the character as well because obviously Bill right from the beginning when you meet him this violin is his life and he's practicing you know at the conservatory and his mother's extremely proud of what he's doing and this is all true we know this of Acha he was at the music conservatory studying the violin
So it's a lovely thing to be able to build that through and it really have importance in that sequence at the end. James Mantha, my sound designer, did a really lovely thing where he was able to use it initially as score. So wherever you're jumping, you're hearing this violin. But then as the Gestapo are descending upon Bill, the violin becomes interior and put inside the flat and it becomes very real at that point and you realise that this is not going to end very well. So it was, the sound design was very nice, but Bill did a fantastic job learning to play the violin and look authentic. We doubled him, but he spent a good two months practising the violin just so that the fingers went in the right places. I mean, it sounded like a cat being strangled when he did it, but it looked good. And when we put the violin on top, we were like, ah, that works. Thanks for the effort, Bill, but yeah. not quite good enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's two months. I mean, <laughs> exactly. how many hours do they say you have to be good at something? It's yeah, like, to be conservatoire ready. 100,000, yeah. But <laughs> he's an actor. Authentic. He's yeah. an authentic and actor. And a great actor as well. He's fantastic. <laughs> You know, looking back on some of your other films, you know, Metro Manila being prior to this and how you approach music with a film that's set in a different country and a different culture and not feeling like you have to drown it in the sounds of that place. Yeah, again, it's organic. It's sort of at a certain point you spend enough time with it and you listen to enough things and you needle drop, we call it, and you just drop a needle on it, listen to it. And go, you know, and then Robin was coming with all sorts of authentic Filipino instruments and bongos and all sorts of things and we're shaking our head going, nah, that's not right and then suddenly midnight middle of the night I get a call from him and he goes I found it I know what it is he goes it's a child's music box and he had this little child's music box and he, he wound it up and it went ding, 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 ding. and I said you're right you're right that's it so simple and it really conveyed the innocence of this family and the hopes of this family as they were like uprooted and moved towards the big city in in the hope of a better life and so everything grew out of that music box all the themes
grew into the track, you know, Life and Death, that was done for the end. Emiliana's voice in that is just perfection, really. It's just melts you. I think for the album, she did a solo version of that, which was, again, you know, but it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's like you listen to it. I mean, the track, you know, literally makes me cry when I hear it. Swing your soul high and put your heart in front. Follow me tonight, our roots are sown in death. Stay with me in the morning. We are like you have a recurring theme of crying at the music that's in your films which mm. is good because it has an effect on you it's got an effect on your audience for sure yeah <laughs> if it's not working on me um, then it's it. forget it yeah bin it get rid of it we can see where we're going now I can see where we're going someone who writes, directs and is also DOP on your films, do you think that has a different approach to the music that you use? Do you think if you weren't the DOP there might be a different That's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know, no, I think it comes back to that, that idea that we just spoke about that there is triggers in music that trigger emotions, whatever they are joy, happiness, sadness despair, love there's all these things that trigger and I think visuals don't do it go to a gallery and look at paintings or photographs and appreciate the beauty of them but I don't think you would see people standing there weeping at them like you would maybe if they had their headphones on listening to a song that reminds them of something or touches something. The power of music is incredibly strong. Now combine that with the visual and you, you've presented a piece of uh, time to an audience which is a story that they can identify with hopefully and take a journey on and then on top of that give them something like music that will trigger the emotion that will reinforce the story that they've just felt.
and I guess yeah you're aiming to make your audience cry if that's what you want yeah. I mean it was for me for the last two films because that's what made me make them because they were heartbreaking in that sense they were very strong stories of sacrifice one a man for his family and the other two men for their country hello hello please sit down you are the most beautiful women in the room but you fail to understand this is not a night off for us take a look around this is not some game. So you get noticed, and that gets us noticed. And us being noticed gets us all shot. But it's very important how music really plays a massive part of that emotional trigger. Yeah. So I think, yes, basically, <laughs> I think as a director, you have to be on point for that. It yeah. has to be something you're really in control with. And luckily, I work with great musicians and Robin Foster and Guy Farley as well. And yeah. they just get it. They really get that sense of being able to combine image and, and music to bring the emotional power of something. Isn't it? Really, yeah. It's right up there with the caterer. <laughs> <laughs> Food and music. See? I hear Clint Eastwood won't shoot unless his caterer is available. It's wow. like, it's That's that what important. That's what you're aiming for. That's what I want. <laughs> as a photographer and music something you've used quite heavily then as well in terms of you know setting the tone for a shoot all that kind of thing absolutely I remember being an assistant and being on the sets of like Steve Mizell and Nick Knight and it was really interesting to watch that they would put a track on and it would set the mood and they would be firing away but what was impressive was the range of music. I mean, I was young at that point, new to London. I was from Brighton, and suddenly I was being, like, thrown into this fashion world where these, you know, all this music was pumping through the speakers and the studios, and Kate Moss was dancing around in a wind machine, and, and you go, wow. Then you find out very quickly that these people, they're best friends with a lot of DJs and musicians and they're getting playlists from everybody. It's an important part of their shoot to create that mood and that environment. And they create that emotionally. So if they want a model to look sad, and then they've got that sad and despair mixtape that they put on. I love it. Each person's got a different mood. <laughs> yeah. You're an animal. Yeah. Let's go sexy on Let's this one. Really put the sexy mixtape on. Oh, amazing. Uh, we laugh, but it's pretty close. Is I it? have to say, it's a bit Zoolander sometimes. <laughs> Looking back on some of your other films, Cashback's got an incredible collection of popular music in it mm. as well, everything from Peaches to Black Keys, Frankie Goes Hollywood, Woik stops in there as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's really different when you're using popular music and a lot of it comes down to your budget. Yeah, on 
what tends to happen is you go through your favorite track list and the producer's going, no, 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 possibly I know somebody, maybe they owe me a favor, no. <laughs> so you, suddenly you, you're, you're sort of compromised. And then what happens is your music supervisor comes on board and they're normally very well in with a lot of the record labels and they know what's out there and they're helping you pick stuff and showing you what's out there and you're listening to a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a compromise generally. Try not to. It depends. I think if it's a difficult scene that you're writing and you need to get a certain pitch, you might needle drop a few things that help you get to that pitch. But uh, it can throw you off a little bit, actually. It's a little bit like, I don't know, being drunk at the pub on a Friday night and thinking that person's much better looking than they are. And then the next <laughs> day you're like, direction. shit, I wrote that scene and it's utterly shit. That's because I'm not listening to that music. I think if it's working without, you know it's only going to get better. And that's one of the rules that we have when we're editing. We don't cut with music when we're editing. And we don't fall into that trap of putting temp tracks on the edit. Because it does two things. First of all, it will hide any bad editing, because music does. And secondly, you probably can't afford the track you've put on there. <laughs> and it has to come off. And then it's called temp track hell, which basically means you're constantly trying to find the track that works as well as the one that you'd wanted but couldn't afford. And it never works as well as the one that you wanted and couldn't afford. And you just get depressed about it. So I did that on my first two films. And then after that, I just made this rule where I just go, okay, I edit without any music. I get to the end of the film and see if the film's working. Mm -hmm. And then if it is, then we go back and see what we're going to do with score. <laughs> Oh, 
example in terms of the different way that music's used, whether it be the scoring moments or those soundscape moments that we were talking about as well, and also the way that the music of the time is used in the film when they go dancing. Yeah, Anthropoid's pretty much score all the way through. There's a couple of tracks actually. There's that one track, and I think there's another track. Uh, but that dancehall track was a Czech band. That's what they do. They're kind of reenactors of that period. They dress up and they're like a big band, you know. And being Czech, knew the story really well, and they were super happy to come. And that's actually them in the movie. That's the band playing. So it's lovely to have them actually in it and playing their music and singing in Czech, which all felt absolutely authentic. like I say sometimes things just happen and it just feels right and you know it feels right and so you just go with it that track was definitely one that sort of I can't get out of my head now <laughs> now that you've brought it up Sorry. Like, na, 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 na. I just want to be able to go to one of those like you say they're a band and they do that yeah there is a real want for that period now in terms of going to places like that where you can properly dance with a partner and there's something quite romantic about it yeah exactly yeah no there is definitely and you know it's sort of you know the, Northern Soul and all these kind of yeah. groups that are really into that period and, and that music and it's a whole subculture that exists. Django Reinhardt was the other track that we used which was of the time. It's amazing like when you start talking about Django Reinhardt and these Django heads kind of come out the walls suddenly you realize that there's all these jazz conventions, Django jazz conventions in France that are happening all the time. Django track as well. We had to re-record that one because I think all the rights were really mixed up with the family and we got the rights but we didn't have the recording rights yeah. so we had to record it. It was Guy Farley that helped yeah. us with that and he kind of got these guitar players together and musicians and played the, the Django track. Nice as well I guess because you get to delve into that period you get to learn about a whole new area of music. Yeah, really well Django's a really interesting story because during the time of the occupation in Paris he was a Romanian gypsy Jew who played jazz so he's probably the most wanted man on the on the, on the Reich's <laughs> list to be honest with you but had an enormous amount of fans in the Luftwaffe because they were jazz fans of the Luftwaffe and it was actually them that ended up saving him they sort of got him out of Paris but uh, an amazing story Django
thank you. Really great to chat to you and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed Anthropoid. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. From the soundtrack to Anthropoid, that's Dulce et Decorum Est by Guy Farley, rounding off our latest episode of Soundtracking with Sean Ellis. My thanks to Sean for taking the time to talk to us about the music in his work. Anthropoid is out on home entertainment formats now, with Robin Foster's claustrophobic score available via our good friends at Lakeshore Records. Both are well worth putting on your Christmas list for Santa. To find out what tracks we featured in the order they appeared, head to edithbowman.com where you'll also be able to subscribe to this podcast and catch up with all our previous episodes from John Favreau to Andrea Arnold, Nicholas Winding Refn to Todd Solins. You should find at least a couple of people who cater for your cinematic tastes. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We're at Soundtracking UK and do tell your friends about us. And please rate the show on iTunes if you get the chance. Next up, talking Star Wars, it's Gareth Edwards. I look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>